Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. With me tonight is my regular co-panelist, Troy Goodfellow. I'm happy to be here again. And once again, we welcome back our special guest, Irrational Games' Ken Levine. Ken, thanks for joining us. I'm known for strategy games. You should be. I, I should be, but I'm not. No, I'm, I shouldn't be. Well, it's, it's either you do podcasts like this one, or you find a way to work panzers into every game that Irrational makes, right? That's, that's how that works? That's exa- exa- there will be a Panther Wagon 4 in Bioshock Infinite. Outstanding. Outstanding. I, I, I can't wait until the game just morphs into a hex-based, turn-based war game, uh, just right in the middle. Like, look what Elizabeth brought through the portal. Hex grids. A grease pencil. And you just have to it's a commentary in the Spanish-American War, and people eat that shit up. <laughs> true. It's true. Uh, no, our, our actual topic tonight uh, is... is a, a, an important war game series, and uh, I believe one of your favorites, Ken, uh, the combat mission series. I'm a big fan, and always have been. So, why don't, why don't you get us started? What, what, you know, like, explain what was the significance of uh, combat mission beyond Overlord when it came out, and, and how did it sort of affect the, the war game genre? Well, I've been playing, you know, basically combat mission, as far as I understand, is like a one-man, started off as like a one-man operation, and I actually played this guy, Charlie Moylan, and I played his game, he made a game called Flight Commander, like a thousand years ago, and when I moved cross-country from the east, west coast to the east coast, I actually had a Mac, a, a first-generation Mac PowerBook, like a Mac Power, was it one of the first generation Mac PowerBooks called, like PowerBook 100 or something? And I played his game. It was like a turn-based Wego flight game, like where you could fly like F-105s versus MiG-19s against each other. And I like I plugged that thing into the the um, the electric outlet of my car. When I wasn't driving at the time when my friend was driving, <laughs> and um, and like that got me across the country. It was this amazing game. And I don't think I, I'm probably the only person who ever heard of this game, but I, I loved it. So I always followed his career. Um, and then I like stalk him at E3 and stuff. And then when I found out he was doing this um, this combat mission game, it was really striking at the time because it, there was really nothing like it. I still don't really think there's been anything quite that felt that quite like combat mission in terms of really just feeling like a toolbox to recreate you know the um, various fronts of, of World War II. So so what made it what what makes it so unique? Uh, you know, I mean, Troy, you've, you've played a lot of these games. Yeah. How, how did it sort of depart from familiar war game uh, formulas and, you know, introduce new conventions? Well, in many ways, it's something we talked about last week. We talked about um, Men at War. I think a combat mission was really the first computer war game that felt like a, an, a classic war movie. Uh, it was three dimensions. You could move around and see all of your troops interacting. You could have the little fights uh, all across the battlefield. They could be, you know, storming forests or trying to take houses, and played out turn by turn. Um, I would say there was nothing quite like it because XCOM was just like it. Only XCOM was taking out aliens, and this was a glorious war movie playing out with all the historically appropriate weapons and all the dudes running around and getting shot, and it gave put all those great XCOM feelings in your heart without the campaign of moving your guys around, feeling a little bit of tension as the term timer ran out, and you're thinking, okay, holy crap, I just saw something, and I don't know what it was. And I think this is one of the great magics of the original Combat Mission series. Now, we're going to be talking about how the Combat Mission series evolved from there, because I think we uh, might have some thoughts on why the other ones, why the old ones still have such great, still speak to me so powerfully, and the new ones really don't. Uh, but it, I think that was what made combat missions stand out. Was it had this? It was the first one to capture being J- J- John Wayne uh, in a World War II movie. Only you were the commander. You know, I, I think I have a different view on it, Troy, because yeah? I, I think I think what I loved about it is I didn't really feel like John Wayne. I, I thought I it was a way to sort of go back and. You know, there was always this level of abstraction, both, you know, yeah. when you play Squad Leader or whatever, or, of course, or when you played, you know, like an RTS um, in, in, until that time. Uh, and where you felt like, well, you know, like, for instance, whenever you had tanks shooting each other, they'd sort of be knocking down each other's um, hit point bars, which right. is, you know, it, it sort of really is not how, you know, armored combat works. You know, armored combat tends to be... Either you know you 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 pound each other and you t- with no effect, and then you have like these either something that like you know 
breaks a tread or or right. or, 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 or or knocks out the engine or does something like cat or or just takes out the tank in a catastrophic fashion. You know, it's not really a wearing down of a hit point bar. And and, and I, I don't know it's frustrated me. Um, you know, that sort of level of abstraction. What I loved about right. combat mission is you really felt like you saw you actually watched shells bouncing off of armor and it gave you know, in, in the tank combat, and you watched, right. you know, fire spread in the fields, and it, this incredible level of simulation, even in his, you know, at the time, as it, you know, even though the graphics are fairly crude and cartoonish in a lot of ways, it, it, the level of simulation it brought to, um, to, to warfare, I just thought was incredible, and I think I finally felt like what it, it, what it was kind of like to be on a real battlefield, because, you know, you never thought of, like, of there being a physical chunk of metal right. flying at high speed and another physical chunk of metal and bouncing off. And, like, I remember seeing being in situations where, like, a shell would bounce off a tank and land on the ground next to a bunch of infantrymen, and the shell would explode and kill a couple of my infantrymen. Um, and that level of simulation was just something that never that just never existed. Um, and, again, I, I don't really think it has. I think, that, you know, I think you're right. The closest thing that I've seen since has been Men of War. Yeah, but it really captures the, the visuals of war uh, in some ways. I mean, you, you, and the sounds. I mean, we want to talk a lot about the sounds later because really it is, war games didn't sound like that for a very long time. And no other game to that point, and there are very few games since, have been able to demonstrate the, first, the mystery of sound. You can hear something and all you're given is a very vague location. Now, other games have had fog of war, but they don't have the terrifying feeling of, I heard an engine, and I don't know what kind of engine it is. It's a freaking question mark, and there's a gun attached to that question mark. And right. I have to go out there and find out what it is. And I think that's a special kind of fog of war. I mean, it's a game, the combat mission series is a war game that engages the senses. And every time I see a war gamer on forums complain, I say, oh, well, you don't, you don't need graphics, you don't need sound to have a good war game. Say, well, no, you don't really need it, but if you can figure out how to bring all of the senses into play, you have a better war game, and there's just no avoiding that. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think it was the first game that both with its audio and, vi- and visual actually really added value in a way, in a way that it, brought, it demonstrated what the medium could do that no other medium could do, because like, no matter how detailed your squad leader battle, you, know, you can play advanced squad leader you know, with every conceivable you know, um, you know you know, armor, uh, high explosive, armor piercing round deflection table imaginable. And it's not going to have the, you're not going to understand and get the feel for the, for the combat the way you would by, you know, as you said, like listening to a bunch of, 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 of engines approach you, you know, in the darkness and, you know, and maneuvering your Panzer Shreks around and trying to make sure that you have the right angles and, and your guys are inflating the enemy, enemy properly. And only by having that level of audiovisual demonstration, I think, can you really get that feel. Anything short of those graphics, I think. And, and again, the graphics, when you look back at it, you know, they're nothing, certainly nothing. They weren't special at the time in terms of, you know, the, the pure, you know, the rendering power. But in right. terms of what was represented on the field, <laughs> nobody had ever used graphics to, rep- to, to represent that kind of um, scenario, you know, th- that kind of scale of battle before. Well, well, and also the the use of the WeGo turn format, where where you queued up all your orders for the whole game plays out in these one minute slices, right? And you queue up all your orders for what's going to happen in that one minute, and the ability to go back and replay those those segments of time and and see what's happening from many different angles, uh, it just it created a much more it created a much more complicated and living battlefield where it's not like a traditional war game where Yuna just walks along and then <laughs> suddenly it you know it crosses some sort of line of sight threshold and something pops into existence. Uh, you know, it, it, it's very much a it's very much a place where you sort of li- like you said, Troy, you're tracking sounds. You know, you hear a tank moving you know from right to left along your front. And then suddenly you, s- you glimpse it briefly through the trees, you know. And if you're not looking at that particular point, you don't notice that your troops actually sighted the tank. You know, you, you know, you'll find out after the turn that you know there's a brief armor sighting, uh, but you, but you don't know. But you can actually go back and sort of replay that moment and sort of like crouch down next to your troops, you know, lower the camera down to their level and try to see like what the hell is that coming at you? And you, you, I, you, sorry, go ahead. You, oh, you also have that great frustration of like watching your guys fail to respond 
you know, effectively. And in a way that, that didn't feel like I don't, I, this game doesn't control properly, but in, in the way that you feel your guys just, you know, they, they didn't see it, they weren't aware of it, their attention was caught elsewhere, they, they couldn't reload in time. You know, the, the, the real frustration you must feel in sort of within perfect information, within perfect control of, of your troops. And, um, you know, that sort of, come on, come on, come on, come on, you, you're, you're sort of cheering your guys on. And you're because you know you're just watching the replay, and, and even though the you know the battle's already been that minute has already been decided, it's incredibly tense. I think way more tense than you, um, the fact that you have less control. They, they take away from control from you during that sequence actually increases the tension a lot. I mean, I'm glad you mentioned the guys and their failures because one of the great things that I loved about it. I mean, you look at of all kinds of war games have had the troops bed balance at different experience levels or different skill levels. You have your your idiot Russian conscripts whose job is to charge into the machine gun until the machine gun runs out of bullets so Stalin's friends can come and clean up the mess later. Uh, and, of course, your super elite troops. But it's... But I think combat mission made me realize just how important having experienced troops were for a good commander. Because you'd see these cowards... Well, no, the roof, I mean, not that I'd be some great, you know... Sergeant Rock out in the battlefield either, uh, just not, not moving forward. You give them orders, and they stand there. They hear a sound. They don't know what to do. Uh, they look the wrong direction, even though your orders are perfectly clear. They fire at the tank too soon because they're panicking. Oh, that's the worst. And it's like, oh, no, not yet, not yet. And it's you can't do anything. And it's you get the feel for what troops you can count on, which ones you can not count on. And then there's always, you know, the great moment where, you know, the old plucky kid from Kentucky pulls through and he drops a Molotov cocktail on a tiger and the thing goes up in flames and woohoo, he just won the war. And uh, that's just great war game design. I mean, yeah, the, si- a, the, the system allowed for outliers. And I yeah. think that, that um, you know, most war games just don't have that you know, especially like, you know, RTS-style war games aren't really, just the way they're designed, they're designed about, you know, sort of, they're more attrition-oriented than, yes. you know, one lucky shot by this one farm boy manages to, you know, to take out that tank because it happens to hit its rear armor at exactly the right angle. Um, and that's, you know, and that can turn the entire tide of a battle in one second. Cool. It's just the stories. And this goes back to the whole census thing and how it brings in the the power of storytelling in a good war game. I mean, I can tell stories about hex-based war games and the fun I had in Age of Rifles and some good real-time war games, uh, like Sid Meier's Gettysburg, which I have so many great stories about because of the pace it played out very nicely. Uh, but I think I have more stories of just crazy stuff or neat stuff, the little, little war story-type things from combat missions than any other uh, war game series. And I think it is because... Well, I think because it was early, because it was one of the first games to do this. I mean, combat, close combat came along around the same time, and it did some of this, but not quite as well. And the the stories just stick with me, because I hadn't seen anything like it before, and it was just so powerful. And it was just a great multiplayer game. You know, to get on chat or Skype and, you know, play the game out and watch the turns play out and listen to the yelling. I loved it, and it's, um, I think we we do need to talk about the whole turn the the Yugo thing because it, uh, Battlefronts moved away from that uh, in the most recent combat missions, and you see similar games or similar theme games like Panzer Command and Theater of War, which are strictly real-time, trying to capture a lot of the same feeling, and I kind of wonder if I'm just a nostalgic fool or if there's something soundly mechanical going on. I, you know, I, some three of my favorite strategy games of all time have Vigo games. Combat Mission and Charlie's other game, um, Flight Commander, as I said. And there's a game, actually, one of my favorite games that I played to death. And this goes back like to the Stone Age, which is a game called um, Robosport, which Maxis released you know, back around 1990. Do you guys ever play this game? No, I don't think no, I've heard I've never of heard it. Heard of it. It's basically, and it, actually, if you, and if you go way back, you, you know those games where you program robots and they and then you sort of unleash them on the battlefield. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Omega was one that I played way back. Yeah, yeah, and this is sort of like a, a polished version of that. And basically, you had some of these robots with a very simple series of 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 commands you could give them. And the idea was, is you know, they played out in Wego, and the and the way they made it feel not unrealistic is because they're robots, and you know, they're not going to respond unless they had pre-programming to do. 
you know, to, to actually make a, a response. And it had exactly the same mechanics, basically. A bunch of guys running around a battlefield, and we go, and that same kind of re-watching it, you know, with the, with the VCR controls, fast going fast forward and rewinding, and that same kind of nail-biting tension of you've made your decisions, and you've made your bed, and now you have to sleep in it. And, you know, for good and for bad. And uh, there's something about that kind of tension which is really underserved um, in 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 games it, it's not um you, you, there's I, I don't know if there's uh, are there any game i mean are there any week ago games being made right now unless two games a big change of heart about well, the no, next call all uh, their games are oh yeah uh, and uh, uh for uh, frozen synapse there we go right right yeah 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 and that, that's exactly yeah you know, basically frozen synapse is exactly practically exactly robosport um it's a, a nearly identical game and it's um yeah, and I think that's why that game, you know, has that kind of tension. It's, it, but there's not, there's very little of it out there right now, and um, it's a shame. And but you know, again, I don't know if it, we're just old fogies. I don't know if that could, I mean, could we, make. But we, we do like other real time games, right? I mean, it's not like we're saying oh, real time sucks and turn based no. is awesome because I love so many real time games from traditional real time strategy games. Uh, Harvest, harvest theme games like you know StarCraft and Age of Empires. Love those, love those, love those. Always have. It's so it's not like I don't like real time, but there's oh. something about the com the old combat mission design that I like better. And I think about war games that just doesn't work quite as well for me in real time. Meta War is a bit different because it's really in this weird spot. Um, Meta War is the closest though because Meta War yeah. also has that component of if I just get you know. This one infantryman who just happens to get the lucky, you know, yep. um, anti-tank grenade round off. And, you know, I think you guys were talking about this last week on the show um, when you were talking about the sort of the ebb and flow of the battle that you that you're, you never really you can't really ever count yourself out in those battles because, you know, you can and you could get an incredibly lucky um, blow that can like, you know, take out an enemy tank. And that's just something you really can't do in, you know, in a Starcraft. It just can't. It can't it's not possible to happen once you kind of start losing in StarCraft. It's very hard to come back. To go back to the to go back to the Wego the Wego thing, I think you have to discuss that in the in light of the way uh, Comet Mission handled orders, uh, which is another big difference. Yep. And, and I think one of the reasons why we don't see a lot of Wego games uh, is that <clears throat> Combat Mission is very interested in uh, you know the the problems of command of delayed delayed orders, you know delayed information. And I, I think one of the reasons that a lot of designers probably shy away from Wego is, you know, there's this sort of, you know, air traffic air, air traffic controller mental gymnastics you have to do when you're playing a Wego strategy game where you are looking at a static portrait of what's happening, of what's going on right now, it's a snapshot of a moment in time. But then you've got to be able to imagine how all these different orders you've issued are going to interact once you hit play and time starts moving again. And now, you know, is this pincer attack actually going to work, or is one blow going to land well before the other, and now the enemy just picks apart, you know, both your teams separately? And I, and I think that's that was that was one of the great things about yeah. combat mission is every turn was this really you know demanding mental exercise where you know if you screwed up timing, and so much of that game is about timing because you know if. You know, you could control how long units would pause before they before they enacted orders, uh, and also units took a variable amount of time to get new orders depending on how far they were from the command unit. Uh, so every turn, you're 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 doing these little like scratch pad calculations and just trying to you know visualize it in your head. Like, you know, is this you know is, is this team going to be able to effectively support that one, or am I just sending these guys out to get butchered by an MG42? And then my tank's going to show up, and it's going to be supporting a squad of dead men. Uh, and well, every turn was like that. The delete orders really made you think about your artillery. Because you'd have your mortars or your off-field artillery targeting a spot. So this is going to come in like two or three turns. That's when it's finally going to hit. And then you advance, and you see a better artillery target. If you change that those artillery directions, they've got to reset. You're going to lose all that firepower. So do you adjust it, or do you fire at the less optimal target? And yeah, you, and you have you have those the, the decisions were agonizing often, which was what was great about it is you you would sit there and and and, and yeah, like yeah. 
because you didn't have a lot of artillery rounds as no. well, but they were incredibly powerful if you used them correctly. It's, I always love setting off a huge volley right at the beginning and then seeing things catch fire. Then, of course, advancing and seeing us just some crappy reconnaissance view. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, I, I, if you probably think about artillery in that game, I think, you know, I probably played, I probably played, I probably played 500 single-player matches, of, and I probably had our three effective artillery strikes across, you know, that, those entire 500 matches. Yeah, I never mastered it. It's really challenging to use, that, you know, and I, and I guess as it should be, but because but, but when it is, you know, when it lands effectively, it could really change the battlefield. I mean, the only time it, it was effective, which is probably very similar to real life, is when you had a entrenched enemy, um, or, or a static enemy, and you and you were, you know, you, you but but then you had the disadvantage of, you know, he'd be dug into trenches. So it was never really that satisfying. In fact, m- many of the weapons in the game were not satisfying, like in in the most traditional ways. Like you felt like super. You never felt badass. Your weapons were often quite ineffective, especially if you were playing the Americans. Yeah, because you, you get the, your tanks are crap and your weapons are crap, which is realistic. Yeah, I mean, armored combat in that game was was just a never-ending nightmare for me if I was the Americans because, you know, the lowliest German tank was an even match for your best Sherman, and anything heavier than that, you know, like a Panzer IV was one thing, but if you saw if you saw a Panther, you know, you automatically like, well, that's that's at least three dead tanks, you know, almost certainly, and if it's King Tiger, God help you, you know, just hit it with everything you have and pray, and your tank destroyer units, you know, I mean, if they get a clean shot, it's great, but the problem is that in exchange for a huge gun, uh, you know, no you, you had no armor, yeah. and so that was, you know, many many excruciating games of uh, combat mission, and I guess this would be, you know. It's, it, maybe it's realism as a criticism, but there were a lot of games where just because, you know, and this is something we brought up on the uh, the show about uh, Octung Panzer, this type of warfare, you know, if one tank gets the drop on another group of tanks, you can basically lose an entire scenario in just two or three shots. I, I, but that's what makes the game work, though, I think, you know, because it's quite un, it's quite frustrating and un, and unbalanced in some ways but it's also I, I think it's more of a simulation than it is a game in a lot of ways yeah that's very that's very true it, there were just there 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 were moments when i wished it was a bit more game like i suppose where you know by turn five out of 25 my armor is all you know smoldering right. on the battlefield <laughs> and there's a part of me that i always feel i always feel guilty for punking out on a battle right because there is i mean that's the thing about these games right there's always that outside chance that there's going to be this amazing, you know, war movie story that's about to play out where, you know, the unlikely heroes triumph over, uh, you know, o- over the dastardly Germans. That's probably not going to happen, though. The The odds are much greater that you're going to try to sneak an infantry team up on that panther, and it's going to spot you, you know, when they're 50, when they're 50 feet away and right. machine gun them to death. Yeah, but, the, but then well, another kind of strange thing, and I don't know how realistic this was, is things like machine guns, once they opened up, I remember, like, they wouldn't actually kill your guys very often. They, just, like, I would watch my guys crawl around for, like, 20 minutes yeah. being suppressed. Um, and it, it wasn't a game It wasn't a game for the, like, traditionally bloodthirsty. It really took, you know, unlike, unlike for instance, um, you know, Men of War, which is just, like, you know, men are getting, people are getting blown apart all the time and things are lighting on fire. And, and that happens occasionally in, in, in combat mission. But it's a much more... Um, it's it's somewhat of a sterile game in a lot of ways. It's 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 a bit of a dry game, but it but when it works, it, you know, it, it's like some of the other games are like sort of you know the the wine coolers of World War II, and this is very much you know the you know a, a very expensive, very dry bottle of scotch. Well, and, and something I think that really underlines that is, Hamlet Mission is a game that punishes you for being too reactive, for being too fidgety. A lot of a lot of yeah, times, yeah, the absolute point. best thing you can do is let your original plan play out. You know, yeah. even if it, even if it doesn't look like it's going to work, at least right now there's a plan, and all your troops are on the same page. But if you start trying to futz around with orders and start trying to micromanage the combat and get troops, you know, changing what they're doing in midstream, you are going to make a complete hash out of you know out of, out of your order of battle, where you'd be a lot better off a lot of times. You know, putting a little faith in, in your own original plan, but also just letting your troops get to their positions and then acting on their own initiative. You know, letting them letting them look after themselves. That that, that was a huge change. It's, it's something you know. Even now, I, I still struggle with. And in, in you know, when I get, when I go back to it, 
is there are so many war games where the impulse is always you've got to reach in there and intervene and make sure things don't go wrong. And Combat Mission is definitely a game that takes advantage of that impulse and punishes you for it. Well, it's like, I mean, so many war games and strategy games, you're, 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 you're a fireman. You're not really a commander. Little things pop up, and it's your job to stamp them out before they become a problem. There's very rarely this great pressure to, though, I have a plan, I have a strategy, you've got to follow through, got to follow through, and things will work out. You look at even the great grand strategy games, some of the Paradox stuff, some of the Civ stuff, it's all about, hey, now, this thing's screaming in your face, bunch of rebels in Paris. Oh, no, London's upset. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And you have to deal with that right now, right now, right now. Otherwise, it will become a big, big problem. Um, uh, in war games, you know, because it's all turn-based, you can always, you know, adjust just a little bit. And usually there's enough little hex guys running around that you can actually do that because the things are so fine. The small scale of combat mission really meant you didn't have that many pieces to move around. If you started micromanaging, you're actually you're actually macromanaging what had to be micromanaged, and you were making this huge what looked like a small change. I'm just going to move these other infantry guys away to deal with this problem. In fact, screws up your entire plan because they were holding the whole thing together because they were the linchpin of that movement because they were moving the right pace through that hedgerow, and you just screwed them up so they could take out some guy in the cemetery. And so you're making there are no small changes in combat mission because of the scale doesn't really allow for small changes. It's a beautifully balanced game at the right I mean the battles can get ridiculously large and then they're not really fun. There's really a good sweet spot in there. I, I, I loved how tightly balanced the tension was between okay, okay smart guy, what is the most important thing you have to do right now? Sometimes the most important thing you had to do was retreat. Sometimes you have to pull back. Sometimes the original plan was bone stupid. Um but you wouldn't know that on your first turn, or your second turn, or your third turn. You have to let things, you're right, Rob, just have to let things unfold and then see where you stand because otherwise you're just, you're seeing the machine gun emplacements and the beaches above Normandy and turning around and say, I'll come back in August. It also did an amazing job of, you could make a random mission generation in that game. Yes. And, and and I guess, you know, the only other game that's done this brilliant, you know, on this level of brilliance is XCOM uh, also is, you know, and you can make a random mission and it will make a battle. Not only will it make a battle with, you know, we'll choose the sort of order of battle that would be reasonable for both sides. Um, it would make, it, the AI would know, I mean, it would know how to play the map. And I mean in a fair, enough to make it a, a challenge. Like enough to yeah, make it yeah. fun to play. I mean, maybe you'd, you'd probably win most of the time, but it wasn't a complete, like, broken, laughable joke. You know, and, and that's not easy to do. I mean, if you think about, for instance, Combat Mission, which is one of my, you know, another one of my favorite games. Not Combat Mission, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm close combat. That game, even with fixed maps, had a lot of problems with pathfinding and, um, and figuring out exactly what to do with its troops. And I remember the tanks used to sort of spin around in place and all those other quirks of that game, which is you know, still a great game. And that was on a 2D map. That combat mission, like basically one person development team could generate you know, a 3D grid, a 3D random map from scratch, put random troops on the map, and then have them perform is, you know, from an AI standpoint, a pretty impressive feat that it just even worked at all, let alone made combats that function and combats that functioned fun. I mean, as a game developer, I have to say that's pretty impressive. Um, and, and not a lot of games have... have that's, a very, that's a very difficult thing to pull off. One of my dream articles that I wished I had written, which I had the guts to actually pitch, uh, was random map generators in general, because there are good ones and there are bad ones, and they are not easy to do well. So many random maps are just a matter of, you know, just plop down a bunch of mines and you stick a forest in the middle and you're at opposite corners, go. Combat mission, I mean, they had different types of maps, different types of encounters. So that was a parameter. Your objective points could be in pretty much anywhere, but it always made sense yeah. based on the type of map. They didn't just stick the flags anywhere. They actually made, you look at this battlefield and say, okay, if I'm going to win this battle, I have to take that church, because from that church I can kill everything or whatever. And they'd know enough to do that and have that all set up properly. Um, so it didn't feel like a random map. It didn't feel like this was just a bunch of stuff plopped down. It was almost like the game knew what a battle was supposed to look like. No random map looked entirely 
different from the ones before, but was clearly new. Um, you could change the force dispositions. And yeah, I mean, if you're playing against the Finns and you were the Russians and the Barbarossa one, they knew enough to give the Finns a thousand little crappy tanks that they could play very well, had lots of mobility, um, and it was always a lot of fun to watch it happen. And I, I almost always played the random maps. I very rarely played through many of the scenarios. It's a, 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 I would love somebody to write the article on the art of making the random map because you look at so many RTSs through the 2000s, they're all fixed maps. Uh, uh, Company of Heroes, great game, but all fixed maps. Everything's planned. Yep. They're, all the supply points are there. So if your strategy for taking that map, that's your strategy for taking that map. There's no looking at the map and thinking, okay, here's what I have to do now. Once you've played the map a few dozen times, uh, you pretty much know where you have to go. It's a question of can you get there in time. Yeah, probably um, Civiliz- Civilization is the only series that sort of has the same investment in, well, XCOM and, Civil- XCOM and Civilization, the only series I can think of with that kind of investment around the maps. Yeah. Now, I haven't played much of the new one. Now, you have Ken, and you've played some, Rob, so I want to hear what have they done to my, what have they done to my, my baby? Actually, well, yeah, I, I was wondering... Go ahead, Rob. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, I'm, I am limited in, in what I can really say about the game at this point. I'm still in my uh, orientation phase, I guess I'd call it. The, the one thing I will admit is, you know, I've had this game installed now for, you know, a couple weeks, and I haven't really put a lot of time into it. And there's a part of me that hasn't really wanted to, and that's been been kind of disappointing. I've been having a hard time getting getting into it. Why is that? Too much Man of War. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, seriously, if you're playing that nonstop, is that just sating your World War II lust? That, that's part of it, certainly. I mean, it's 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 tough to go from that to the much more sedate pacing of a combat mission. But you know, I, I guess. My patience for certain things has has kind of decreased. Um, you know, something something about something about the interface where I'm. You know, I've I've had to learn a lot of keystrokes in order to figure out how to make my troops do do, do very basic orders. I, I really miss the old right click. You know, pro, you know, right click somewhere on a map and that produces a menu that allows you to choose from a you know variety of actions. That's that, that was nice. I, I miss those days. Uh, another endless frustration is, and this is a problem in a lot of war games, actually, is you know when you've got a 3D map and really detailed line of sight rules, but your graphics engine and your artwork don't communicate terrain gradients at all. So you've got you've got you know you're looking at this map and you've got two guys firing at each other across an empty flat field. That cannot see each other because somewhere there's the some sort of like little, little there's some sort of little pimple in in the <laughs> ground that you cannot you cannot perceive until you get down to eye level. At which point it just becomes like you know it, it just becomes like a wall rising out, rising out of the ground somewhere. You know you drift down to eye level, it's there. You go you go a couple feet up, all that terrain flattens. Did the scale change? Like did the scale get a little more granular between Combat Mission One and, and this one? Because it wasn't a problem. But that wasn't. I don't remember that being a problem, and I definitely sort of encountered that in the new one. And I guess if you brought the scale, you know, like you, you, you weren't. You kind of if you kind of looked, you know, if it kind of looked like you could do it, you sort of could do it in the in the previous one. Where this one, yeah, I think that it is, and of course, certainly the graphics engine isn't any isn't worse this time. It's you know, you know, it's it's better than the last one. So I wonder if it's a, it's a it's a function of it being. Um, of it being of it being more of it having a, a you know more per, perturbation per, per, oh boy more changes in the terrain mesh yeah that could that could be it I, I definitely remember uh, running into these issues occasionally in the old in in the uh, original games although you run into that in pretty much any war game of this type I just don't remember them being this bad and I've kind of gotten spoiled with games that communicate. Uh, uh, that communicate terrain much more effectively, I, and I think Men of War, Men of War, is an example here, where you know you can you can identify what the obstructions are very quickly in in Men of War. Yeah, but in, in Men of War is practically, I mean, it's for all intents and purposes flat. Yeah, that's true. There there are a couple. There 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 are some there are some hills. Yeah, uh, well, well, they're sort of like terrain levels. 
Yes. You know, like, you know, the trench is terrain level negative one and the ground is level one. And, yeah, but for the most part, it's pretty it's pretty damn flat. Yeah, most of the cover is actually just from crap lying around the battlefield. Uh, so, you know, you got cover points. Yeah, th- this is this is much more. Th- this this definitely has, I think, a lot of maybe it is maybe it is an issue of the mesh. It could also be I've been playing some smaller scale scenarios to uh, you know find find my feet with it. And so in those scenarios, the the sighting of a mortar becomes colossally important because you know if it can't see this exact patch of terrain, it does you no good, and then it can't knock that MG out. And so you get all these you get all these problems, so that's that's definitely a part of it. Uh, but but I think I think the bigger the bigger part is just you know giving giving orders uh, you know requires a lot of hunting through menus or referring to memorized keystrokes, and, and then and then I mean the camera controls also don't make you know because you you have to you have to be looking around the battlefield a lot to identify these these folds in the terrain. And the camera controls just aren't very good. They're very jerky. It's not a very fluid experience. So it's a very disorienting experience to play it, and it feels like a game that's kind of resisting my attempts to interface with it. I wonder if, because it seems that, you know, I kind of feel to some degree similar that the interface has gotten more obscure over time rather than less, you know, compared to the, to the, to the previous combat mission. But I... That game, Combat Mission, has such a dedicated hardcore following that I wonder if the, their like the audience is so is is so both small and dedicated that they have no interest in it all in sort of making something that's that's that that um, complies with sort of standard interface technique, um, you know, conventions which you see in, in so many games. Um, they're way just more interested in 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 finding what that audience wants and appealing to them, because they must have done some research between... Because the, ch- the change really happened um, in Shock Force, between Combat Mission 1 and Shock Force, um, where, where it went from this model of, as Troy was saying, you, know, you, you were saying using the menu and then clicking on things on the map to this sort of hitting keystrokes. I wonder if that was a, you know, a function of the super, super, super hardcore guys, or um, something they like, because it seems very non consistent with what you expect out of a strategy game interface yeah very much so it, it feels a lot it, it's it's sort of a uh, cart before the horse situation where when i when i am thinking of when, when i'm thinking in terms of a war game thinking tactically for me what matters most is like the location right like i want to I, you know you you work with terrain you work over ground you work over distance and then over these spaces, what do you want to do at the end of it? Do you want to move there? Do you want to shoot at this thing? Yep, yep. Uh, the, the, but it's but it's always about it's always about what's the line of sight? Where where am I going? And this just changes the order, and it, it makes it, it it makes it more difficult to play. Now, now I I did turn it so that you can play it two ways. You can play it uh, pausable continuous time, or you can go back to classic style uh, one minute chunks Wego system, and and that's what I did. I, I played. I, I gave I gave it a shot with the possible continuous time, and I just I wasn't really feeling it. Uh, part of it I think is that's just not what I want from a combat mission game anymore. It never was. Uh, you know I like you know we just, we just spent a lot of time talking about what's great about WeGo and what's cool about this system. So to turn to to go to a possible continuous time, now it becomes this constant. I think it really leads to the absolute worst and most annoying sort of micromanagerial tendencies where you just see something, you hit space bar, you go in, you fiddle with stuff, you let time run, you get five seconds forward, you change something else. Uh, so so I definitely I definitely play it the, the one minute at a time route. And, I mean, I, I've definitely gotten some, some tastes of the, the old, you know, the old glory. I've definitely had some, I've definitely had some great turns, you know, some, some very exciting firefights. So there's there's definitely there's definitely things here that here, things here that I like. The problem I guess I'm I'm running into is I didn't just want another combat mission game. I wanted a real feeling that if there if there was a new combat mission game, I wanted a real feeling of progress in, in some in some major ways, and I, I I'm not getting that feeling really. Did you play uh, Shock Mission or Shock Force, Rob? Uh, no, I never played Shock Force. Because Shock Force had a lot of the same issues. I mean, they eventually they patched it into being a pretty okay game. Uh, but it had issues with line of sight. It had, you're right, the whole 
Here's my problem with the whole design problem with making it either possible, real-time, or turn-based, is that both of those, like you said, teach very different lessons to the player. Both of those have very different impacts on your behavior, and both those require a very different approach to how you design the game, I think. Because you're expecting different things from the player or encouraging different things from the player. If a rule set is, here's how the player should behave in a certain circumstance, programming a game so it works in both equally well is, I think, a fool's errand. I think you're better off choosing a way for it to play and then working within that instead of saying, it can be one, it can be the other. But that's, I'm, I'm not a game designer, but that's my general belief. Pick one way to play the game. Don't pick both and say, this. So if you want to make it a real-time game, say it's a real-time game. Well, and work I, with that. I am a game designer, and I would say you're probably correct. Um, you know, that it's, it's very, t well, for, I mean, from a technology standpoint, making an engine that sort of is designed to handle, um, you know, two sort of substantially different modes like that can be very challenging. You, you sort of make all these edge cases for yourself and that can and make a lot of work for yourself. And whenever you're making work for yourself like that, you're therefore not polish. You know, that's time you could spend polishing one mode or the other mode and you have to divide your work and you also have to make compromises because, um, you know, you'd really want to do this, but it would be really broken in one mode or the other. Um, so I, I think by deciding to do that, and um, the only other game I can think of that did this was the XCOM, what was the XCOM game, um, the third one back in the original series? Um, uh, Apocalypse? Apocalypse, yeah. Remember you could play that game right, as turn-based right. or real t or, or pausable real-time? Right. Um, and it had some of the same problems. It, the pace never felt exactly right. Um, you, you know, you never felt like you was either going too slow or too fast. And... Um, so you know, uh, but again, I I think there's I, I think this is this is an you know look, combat mission is a franchise that many of the art assets are created for the game are created by the com if I recall, certainly for the first game many of the art assets were created by the community, um it had a very dedicated modding community by the time they were doing the expansion packs or the or the ex or the sequels to it you know like the um you know the the the, the Eastern Front one and the African one much of the art was being done by the fan community. They were so dedicated that I imagine there's a lot, you know, I'm not really sure we're entirely the audience anymore for this, even as even as sort of hardcore nerdy strategy gamers as we are. Well, here's the question, though. I mean, if we're not the audience, I mean, if there's a hardcore nerdy audience out there who loves Combat Mission, do they love, do they love different things about it than we did? Well, l let me ask you a question. If they had the wrong armor penetration value on the rear track of the rear left rear armor of the of the you know of the Kubel wagon would you care oh hell no i'm not a nerd but i am right. i'm not that kind of nerd rob would you care nope i wouldn't care i guarantee you there are people in that combat mission audience who would lose their minds if well, that were the case well this is tim tim stone wrote a great piece a piece about this i think a, a month or so ago when the game when the game had just come out uh, writing about you know the 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 problem that a lot of that faces a lot of grognards and making games for grognards is they just know too damn much to enjoy something. Yep. And the way he describes it, and you know, I'll link to it at the bottom of this podcast. And this time, I'll make myself a goddamn note so I don't forget to do that. Uh, but he, he makes the he makes the comment that you know it, it plants this little inconsistencies uh, between the game and and the historical record. Plant this little niggling seed of doubt in the mind of the dedicated war gamer and he, he has this great passage where he's like if if i can't trust you about the penetration value of an 88 millimeter gun where can i trust you? You know <laughs> where the entire game like did, did your girlfriend ever say that to you, Rob? Uh, she she did indeed. Actually, she uh, that's that's actually why she's not living with me right now. Right. In fact, she, she, is I gave her the wrong value penetration value of the eighty eight. Yeah, pretty much. Bastard. Uh, but but I think that's you can send your letters to, uh, of uh, of complaint and protest. For that. <laughs> <laughs> but but no, I I think that th maybe this is an example of a game that is increasingly designed for the minority of players who love that sense of realism. And I think there's good evidence that that is indeed what they love different things about the game than we do. And I think, you know, just anecdotally, but if you look at the sort of mods that are available for the old games, uh, new texture packs, uh, stuff yes. like that, you will find this, you know, there's really no other word for it, obsessive level of detail 
in a, in a lot of the things that fans produce for this game, where you know it's not just important now. You know, but forget wait, wait, that. For, but could they mod other stuff? I mean, I forget. Could they mod things like AI? Could they mod things? We're used now to seeing AI. I'm just, no, I'm just talking. About, I'm just talking about like, yeah, I'm just talking about like texture upgrades. But, 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 if, but if that's all they can mod, then that's what the mods are going to be, right? Well, yeah, but but there's a degree. I mean, for instance, you're not going to find a, a mod for you know, there, there's there's not an audience interesting interested in modding Half Life to be you know probably even Red Orchestra. I don't imagine people playing Red Orchestra are that are, care that much about getting accuracy. You know, this is, they're not real, and I could be completely wrong about that, but my guess is you're not having people making the same, even though the audience for something like Red Orchestra is probably, you know, numerically larger. I think they're probably more interested in shooting at each other than they are in making sure every single detail of the historical simulation is, you know, 2,000% accurate. Well, and there's and there's people there, there's fans of the original game that are furious over some of the changes in Red Orchestra too because there's like hero abilities where you know having a squad leader can impact the troops around him, and they're like, well, that's that's video game bullshit, uh, which is this you know I mean th- there's this subset of gamers that if <laughs> if you take any liberties, it's just it's it's inappropriate, and I, I do wonder if that if that sort of thinking has overta- overtook the series. Well, I, I think it goes, you know, I would guess, and, I, and again, I could be completely wrong. My guess is there's a degree of of historical interest in somebody playing Red Orchestra more than somebody playing, you know, um, Half-Life Deathmatch because just by the nature of you caring about, you know, recreating the Eastern Front, you, you, that's why Red Orchestra is interesting to you. But probably the degree of passion towards this, the details of that, they're going to be a, probably a more understanding audience in terms of historical inaccuracies. They're, they're going to be less attuned to minor inaccuracies than say a combat mission audience would be. where you know i'm a guy who's been playing i've been playing i've been studying world war ii intensely since you know the early 19 the, the mid 1970s you know a very long time in my life and i've read hundreds of books and i've watched hundreds of movies and played you know hundreds or thousands of games on the subject and i really couldn't care or tell you you know, I can tell you that this is, you know, what an, this is an anti-tank gun. I can tell you this is an early war, you know, um, you know that the, the, the Panzer II is an early war, you know, tank with not very much armor and could get its ass kicked by a T-34. But I couldn't tell you all the varieties of T-34s. I couldn't tell you which of the varieties were. And frankly, no, but not only would I not care, I wouldn't know the difference. And because I think from where I, where I look at history, it just doesn't matter that much to me. Um, it's what's much more interesting is that the t- is that you know, for instance, the German armor is going to beat the shit out of the American armor in general. You know that was something that that's about the level of, his, of historical accuracy that matters to me because that was what that that made changes in tactics that 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 required you know for instance you know them to field five to one you know uh, uh, t- Shermans to you know to to one Panzer because they. Because, because their tanks were so unfair. And that's the stuff that is meaningful. And there's a degree that I just don't find meaningful. But that's that's me. I'm sure there are obviously people who, who, who live and die by that stuff. Well, and that's that's why I think, you know, these these kerfuffles over what a, what a war game or what a stor- historical game should be get so heated because these games reach these different constituencies who all convince themselves that the game is for them. You know, you, you, like you and I come together over combat mission. We find other people, and we all we are all happy because oh, here's a game we can all agree this is for us. This is something we love. And then we discover well, well, wait, we just we just like the way you know orders are handled and the way it models the way like com- combat decision making. And what are you what are you breaking out this this armor penetration table for? Why are you obsessing over the you know the turret rotation rate on, on the Sherman? And you know, and and teams who make these games find themselves caught between uh, you know caught between these these constituencies and it's it's a difficult place to be especially because if if we're being honest uh the guys who care on that level are probably also your more reliable customers yes and i think that's probably why they cater to them but i would you know i guess what i'd add it doesn't matter because look that's what makes those guys passionate but i think there's always this and flight sim guys can be very similar you know, most of these flight sim guys who argue about the turn radius of, you know, the, of the P-47D have never flown, you know, never flown a plane, let alone a P-47D for the most part. And they've certainly never flown it in combat, you know, over, you know, over Hamburg. And I think that 
there's a sense that if you add up all the numbers, you'll reach the proper gestalt to get a you know historical accuracy. But the thing about a video game is you can't add up all the numbers because there's too many factors to add up, and too, you're not going to model every factor. So it doesn't even matter if all the numbers are really completely accurate. It's more important to get a feeling of gestalt, and sometimes you know, you, you, you do that by, by abstracting certain things or simplifying certain things because, you know, sir, there's going to be things you're missing from your simulation. No matter how hard you try, there's going to be things missing from that simulation. Well, I think the flight example, the flight sim example is also, you know, a, a cautionary tale in some ways of, you know, if, if you let the diehards sort of drive the direction of the genre, you, it, they, can, they can sort of push it off a cliff in a lot of yeah. ways where it just becomes... You know, you know where they will not play sim lights, and you need these guys to, you know, you need these guys to, as your reliable core audience. But everyone else who might be interested in these games is absolutely not going to play Falcon 4.0. They're just, they're just not going to do it because they don't have, you know, they don't want to go to flight school. Just right, like so people don't want to go to armor school. So answer me this question. So generally, I think that's been a, a, a truism that. When the hardcore takes over, the super hardcore, like you know, and like if you look at flight sims or war games, um, things the, the, things tend to go can go over a cliff uh, and become too hardcore and push out a big enough audience to support you know a sort of a robust marketplace. However, look at Madden. Now I don't know much about football. I mean, do either one of you guys know much about football? I know enough. Yep. yep. So is Madden a hardcore? Si- does it function as a hardcore simulation? Yeah, of well, yes, uh. in some ways, but I, I think the more important point is it is absolutely starting to show the same sort of problems that cropped up in flight sims. The difference is Americans love football; they love it to death. So, I mean, there's enough there's enough people. football crazy people that wherever Madden goes, they will follow. Uh, so they will follow it down statistical rabbit holes, uh, you know, playbooks, whatever. They they want all of that stuff. Uh, and I think that that's the big difference because I have heard in you know increasingly now, and this is just anecdotal, but I hear increasingly from people on Twitter, uh, you know, just from friends who are football fans, they go back to Madden now after you know a few years away from the series, and they they just want to play some video game football, and they fire it up, and the series has moved on. They're totally left behind by it. They're totally baffled by it. And I think Madden has sort of entered that same that same sort of territory. And that's why I end up playing. I'm like, I, you know, I like sports level. Like, I enjoy playing sports sometimes, but I don't enjoy watching sports. So basically, the only sports games for me like involve a fucking Italian plumber and a Yoshi, you know, because <laughs> that's a level of sports simulation I'm looking to I'm looking to get into, because they don't take the you know the sport that seriously. But you still kind of feel like you're playing baseball or football or or whatever. They don't make Tecmo Bowl for you know as a, as a mainstream you know. Like somebody who wants football is not going to play that kind of a game anymore. Right, and then, and then you got guys like you know Bill Harris over at Dubious Quality running forty yard dashes in Madden to make sure that the players do what they can do in real life. Right. <laughs> well, he's he's that Harris is part of the problem. That's what it is. He is, but I mean, God love him. I I, I you know, and that, that's the that's the other side of this coin, I suppose that. There's something really enjoyable about games like that existing and seeing audiences enjoying games on that deep level. That you know what I mean. You know, I mean, oh, sure. you know what I mean. Like, I mean, you know, like Dwarf Fortress is the example I always use here, right? Where it's like, I can't play Dwarf Fortress. I don't understand Dwarf Fortress, but my God, do I love to hear people's stories from Dwarf Fortress? Yep, yep, yep. yep. I, I guess I wish I yeah. It's one of those games that I wish I knew how to play it and understood it, so I can get into. It. And that's that's a problem with with like I look at. Some of these more complex, like you guys talk about those, you know, um, Aegead games all the time, and I have, re- I want to play those. Like, I want to play that Russian Revolution game because, you know, I really am interested in the topic. But the interface, you know, is so daunting to me. Then, given my time limitations, it's not something that I can, you know, I can devote, I can devote, I can learn five other games in the time it would take me to learn that game. Well, and but I wish I could play it. I wish I knew how to play it. The Aegead games actually make me a little nervous because. I'm starting to worry whether I'm starting. I, I'm starting to slip down the Gragnard rabbit hole a little bit because I'm generally, I generally like the Aegod games. Uh, I don't think they're all winners, but but some of them are quite good, and I you know I generally give them uh, you know positive reviews with some significant reservations. But the the trouble is, even with those reservations, I've had people who take me up on the recommendation, and then they turn around and say, well, I don't know how to do the first thing in this game. I I cannot play this game. 
and it really makes me wonder now, have I just been playing this series long enough? You know, it's been like five years. Where now, even though I understand on some intellectual level that it's not explaining itself well, that there's a learning curve, have I just reached a point now where I just take, I give the game a lot of passes, I take a lot for granted because I've been doing this for, you know, five years with the series, and ultimately it still doesn't explain the first thing about itself competently. Yeah, but, yeah, I, I mean, you know, once it's sort of like once you're grandfathered in, you know, to the series, you know, at some point in your life, like, I don't know if I, if I found Combat Mission now, if I would have had the time or patience to learn it. I certainly had the time or patience when it came, the original came out right. to, to learn it. And, and so that gives me a, a heads up where, you know, so you don't mind, you don't mind that level of difficulty. And I, look, that can happen as a, as a game developer too. I'm sure those guys, the last thing those guys are thinking about is we need to make this accessible. To, you know, to a new audience. I don't think they... Obviously, they didn't spend a lot of time thinking about that because they're not... Again, I don't think the new audience is their audience. I think they're, they're focusing very much on their core. Uh, there, there was just... There was, there was one last uh, topic that you brought up, Ken, that, that I wanted to get to uh, tonight because I don't know when else we, we'd get to it. And uh, you, you want to know our thoughts on, on a particular question, right? Yeah, I, actually, you know, this is one of those... Um, simple ones like i just was thinking like if i could take one old school war game um like old school turn-based hex-based game from like when i was growing up and just have somebody make a um you know modern day you know nice graphic um computer game version of it which one would that be i wish bruce was here because bruce would have a list yeah, but then Bruce would question the premise of the question and be like, "You can't remake those games. They were they were contingent on their historical time and place, and <laughs> you, know, you can't." I, no, I don't, Bruce, I don't want them would, Bruce would have an answer. Because, uh... let, me, let me further define the question. Something like I think it would have to be something that has a mechanic that you've never really seen in a, um, you know, in a in a in a you know in a video game. Like just you know saying I didn't want another you know turn based game about World War Two. Is I don't think is. Is sufficient. Like the game I always think of is there was a, a Starship Troopers game. Um, I don't know if you guys ever played the the turn based Starship Troopers game that Avalon Hill made in the seventies from the book, not from the, not from the nope. movie. Um, it was basically you know they have three sides because in the book there's there's not just the you know you all know you know you all know Starship Troopers. Oh, I, I, I know. The yeah, the book. Yeah. Yeah, you know you have the you have the you have the guys in the suits which are you know sort of the archetypes of all Space Marines. Um, you've got the bugs that everybody knows about, and and then you've got these things called the skinnies. You know, these sort of tall, like, very much like XCOM aliens. You know, the like the greys, um, and they were all completely different. You, you know, it was StarCraft before there was StarCraft in a turn-based, you know, in a turn-based, um, turn-based hex-based war game, and um, and um, th- what was really cool about it is the sides were so different that the 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 bugs almost entirely they had a whole map a paper map separate from the cardboard map which you would basically plot out your your tunnels you know they're like the Viet Cong essentially they have this whole tunnel right. network underneath the um underneath the map that they could use to spring up and and attack the uh, attack the space marines on um at arbitrary points and, and you know and the, and the skinnies had something similar they had you know a, a very different kind of set of powers and you know, and you had all these situations where they were, they can plant bombs, and then the the occasionally the, the Terran soldiers would um, you know they essentially be parad- they'd be paratrooping they they'd come in like parachute troops you know and it was this incredibly weird mix of like of like squad leader and you know crazy science fiction and I just loved how different all the sides were and and how how um and and it really was you know I think the game doesn't get enough credit for. Mm. For, for introducing, you know, really asymmetrical warfare amongst three sides, you know, I don't know, 30 years before it came along in the video game world. So this is Irrational's next game you're announcing. I, I would do that game in a second. In a second. Troy? I don't have any answers. I didn't play enough of the really big uh, hex games. It was more of the Avalon Hill larger strategy type stuff. If Julian was here, we, this would be like a 14-hour conversation. That's true. He'd, pro- he'd probably just punt, though, and say advanced squad leader. He's feeling a disturbance in the force right now. I bet he's regretting not being here. I don't know. I, I think he may go... So- somewhere a board game conversation is happening, and he's not a part of it. <laughs> he puts a hand to his ear. Rob, anything? Or am I alone on this one? Well, my, my problem my problem is, is a generational one. Uh, by the time I got into wargaming, Avalon Hill was in its last 
years, and so I never played a lot of the uh, a lot of the big the big old board games. Uh, so, you know, for me, most of my experience was uh, <coughs> most of my experience was Advanced Squad Leader, and that that was it. Uh, you know, I mean, I always wanted to try Third Reich, but you know, that's just because it was like Everest, right? I just wanted to just <laughs> because it was there, I wanted to play it. Uh, but I did. I didn't play. I didn't play a lot of. Uh, I didn't play a lot of big war games back in the day. Well, this be, be a good Battle of the Bulge game. They're a good Avalon Hill Battle of the Bulge. Uh, no, Bruce would know now. I feel like there's one he's brought up a couple times. Well, he loves his bulges. There well, and on that note. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that was a that was a dud of a question. No, it wasn't. You got a chance to introduce him to start. Well, if, if, if we. Yeah, I mean, if we if we limit it to board games, uh, then yeah, I'm, I'm a little stuck. If we open it up to like early, you know, computer computer war games, uh, you know, then I have a lot more to say. All uh, right, throw throw one out, so I'm not alone hanging out here, shifting in the wind. The 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 game that I I always want, and I I, I brought this up on the show before. I have never felt like there's been a satisfactory successor to the close combat series. Uh, the the yeah. early games where it was really it, the scale was very limited. It was limited enough that you know you generally knew who your soldiers were, and that that was the big draw of the game, right? Was sort of seeing personality come out. And you want to talk about creating stories? Well, combat uh, close combat was a war game that created characters uh, that were consistent and followed arcs over the course of a campaign, and. Later games, and I think I think the I think Close Combat Three even lost its way uh, when it moved to the Eastern Front and tried to tell the entire story of the Eastern Front as a yeah. chained campaign, right. which is just it's it's too big. Combat uh, Close Combat was always better suited for things like I think I think Bridge Too Far was perfect. You know, the Market yeah. Garden scenario yes. is the perfect sort of story to tell with oh. a design like that. And so I would just I would love to see a game that. Revisits that concept of like soul, like military psychology, and what combat, especially extended combat, does to does to soldiers. And I just love to see that story told with, you know, better graphics, um, better AI, but just just a modern update. I play it. Rob, start a company. This is it? Is your shot? <laughs> this is that, now. Now it's my time to be an entrepreneur. This is it. I'll be on your board. <laughs> That's a terrifying prospect. <laughs> Troy? PR. There you go. There you go. Yeah, but you're going to be working on your own game, Troy. I am, my own game, yeah, my own game. But, I mean, I've been saying for a long time, what a proper re- re- Republic of Rome. Um, but you, it's really hard to do on a computer because computers require trust, and Republic of Rome requires trust and cooperation. It wouldn't work, really, unless it was a great multiplayer was, translation. It's like, is it sort of like um, trying to do it's, diplomacy? It's kind of like diplomacy. It's, it's a republic. It's a game where you're, you play a, a faction leader in the Roman Republic, and you want to become, you know, emperor or whatever, dictator for life. But at the same time, you can't let the republic fall. So you have to cooperate with your you have to, your faction opponents might have better generals, and they have to fight to keep Hannibal out, and also keep the plebeians from revolting. You have all these other pressures forcing you to cooperate at the same time that you're competing. Um, it's a brilliant design. Um, I really, really love the game. Um, it's a game that Bruce and I've tried to get it play by email game going, but we really need like six people for it to work really well. Um, I think that if there was a way to get that done properly in a good social gaming space, do that. I mean, maybe Game Cable Online could do it right. Um, it could probably, because it does move in turns, it could move asynchronously, uh, and just set a timer, something like that, and, it, and then just get together for the, the voting for the annual elections. I think that could be done, and it could be done in a visually striking way. It could be done with a better interface than the Republic of Rome, the board game had, which had a very terrible, crowded board, way too small for too much going on. A lot of the instructions were covered by cards. You set the cards on top of a spot on the board, which also told you what those cards were for, which wasn't always the best way to put cards out on a board. Um, I'd love to see a good online translation for that, and I'm not sure there is one. Um, if there is, I'd love to know. I know there, there, there are I know there are vassal modules for it. But I mean, just a really good place where everyone can come together, move their stuff around. The rules are all integrated, um, and the bookkeeping's all handled. 
that's really the big thing with all of these games is keeping the accounts straight. So that's the Avalon Hill game I'd like to see, but it's not a hex-based war game. Hex-based war game, probably one of their ancient games. Uh, Alexander, they put a gun to my head. Probably Alexander, which I think was the Battle of Gagamela. That was a good, large, great, big, detailed hex battle. And there are lots of smaller ancient games that kind of do it, um, but not really with the detail and the ease of movement that a really good ancient war game needs. Um, the HPS Alexandrian game, the interface is a nightmare, and you can't see enough of the battlefield to really get a feel for it. Uh, uh, field of Glory, everything's abstracted too much, doesn't feel like it's a big battle, because they want to make the Macedonians look stronger, the armies look a little bit disjointed. Uh, it doesn't, doesn't feel like you're a small army fighting a giant army. doesn't have the right feel to it. So I think something like that, the closest we've come is uh, the Great Battle of History series, and it's that was ten years ago, I guess, uh, and it didn't have a great, but it was a great board game rule set translated to a pretty hideous interface, uh, and not the best animation. I think we could do it right. I think we could have a really good, solid ancient war game that felt like a proper hex-based ancient war game, like Alexander. Well done. I guess for for a closing thought, I, I would say that to, to bring it back to combat mission, I, I think one of the things we haven't brought up here is that... In, a, in an hour and 20 minutes, we haven't brought something up? Definitely. One of the things that they always tried to add to the combat mission series was a campaign mode. And what I really miss, what I'd love to see in just about any context, now it's, it's not a particular game I want to see brought back, but what I really miss is the good war game that focused on individual scenarios, on single battles, and you know stuff like Combat Mission, where it's just it's a series of scenarios, but there's no there's no overarching campaign you have to worry about and somehow make that cohere. It's just it's a good series of military problems, and that you know the, these games we bring up, that's that's the virtue of a lot of them. And it's something that I don't think wargaming, modern wargaming provides provides us a lot of. Everything seems to be tied to some sort of grand campaign. When really, what I want to do is just, you know, play a quick and dirty fifteen-turn street fight scenario. Yep. Well, that, that's a problem I've been having with um, starting the, um, with just even starting the the Panzer. What's it called? The, the game we're gonna play, Rob. Um, Panzer Corps. Panzer Corps. I've got to like spend twenty minutes just choosing my forces first. And, like, time gets limited, you know, and there's so many games to play that it, there's not a lot of quick and dirty out there in the wargaming world anymore. No, there is not. And on Panzer, that note... Panzer Corps is as close as you're going to get. Close as you're going to get. All right, so that does it for tonight's show. Uh, as always, my thanks to Michael Hermes for production and perhaps editing this down to a slightly more manageable size and cutting out <laughs> some of my pointless ramblings. Uh and as always, if you like this episode, please retweet and uh, rate us on iTunes. Uh, thanks so much for being here, Ken and Troy, uh, and say good night. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. <laughs>